Did anybody happen to catch uh, Pastor Steve's musical versatility this morning as he's playing a little bit of honky-tonk piano there? Did you catch that thing? While Andrew was playing the uh, guitar for midgets. It's, uh, it's quite, the, uh, quite the gizmo there. I have been a believer for almost 50 years now, and I sure like the message of that song, Andrew. It's coming a day when we won't get old. I'm looking forward to that, although you know I'm, I'm living in denial anyway. But I have been a believer for almost 50 years, and I was thinking about this series in Galatians that we've just been through, and, and uh, we're coming to, to, uh, to the end of. And, and uh, I, I can't remember a time in, in all of my life where, where I have been changed by the richness of the gospel in a way that I have been as I've gone through the book of Galatians. And, I don't know how you felt about it, although I've had some feedback from some of you that, that uh, the gospel has come alive in your lives in, in newer ways, in fresher ways. I, I think, we've, been in, I, I think we've, we've really been let in on something very special by the Lord in these last few days and weeks, that what God has done. And I just have felt like the Holy Spirit's been nitroglycerin to my heart. And I'm excited about what God has done, what God has taught us, and what He's teaching us, and and usually I'm uh, at the, come to the end of a series, I'm okay with that, and moving on to a new series I'm excited about. But I, I can tell you that as we come to the end, I, there's a certain reluctance about being at the end of Galatians today, and, and uh, it's, it's uh, kind of hit me like, wow, I, I, I want to stay here, Lord. I feel like when the uh, disciples said, could we just pitch a, a tent here, Lord, and could we just hang around here, and, and, uh, but we've got to move on, and... And uh, so we will. I want to talk to you this morning about Galatians chapter uh, 6, verses 11 through 18, as we really do conclude our series this morning um, that God has taken us through, the pure flame of the big free finale. Um, Erasmus called uh, this section of the Word of God the pure flame. He, he t- in talking and in, in characterizing the Apostle Paul, he talks about this as being... This burning in his heart, and, and I, I, I want to pray this morning, I pray that, that the, the same fire of the Holy Spirit that gripped the Apostle Paul's heart as he wrote this finale will grip our hearts as we come to this conclusion of this book that it might long linger in our hearts and our minds and resonate uh, in, in, in our heart and our soul of what the gospel is all about, how glorious it is. How amazing our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is and what we have in Christ and what this big free thing is all about in our lives. So join me in prayer. Will we? Father, I, I just uh, pa- pause right now to ask you as we come to a conclusion of, of what you gave to the Apostle Paul, uh, uh, what he wrote to the Galatian church that has been so rich to our church. I pray, Father, that uh, you would help your servant this morning as we open up the Word of God to, to um, bring home a fitting finale that, that truly reflects the, the uh, truth of what the Apostle Paul delivered, that brings forth his heartbeat, Lord. I pray that, that the emotion with which the Holy Spirit gave this to Paul, you would grant to me and grant to us this morning, Father, that we might truly be pulled into the truth and that we might be caught up uh, raptured in the, in the, in the amazement and, and the glory and the splendor of the gospel, Father, that our hearts might boast in Christ and, 
and that you might fill us and that Christ might be our all in all. Lord, I pray and my great desire is that the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, would be the absolute focus of all that we talk about and all that we do and all that we praise and all that we single out for adoration and worship, Lord, this morning. So would you help me do that? Uh, Lord, I know that's what you want. I know that's your desire. And so I pray that you'd take us on this journey in a powerful way and stir our hearts afresh, Father, that, that we might not soon forget what you have done for us, what you teach us here, and what we have, this great possession, the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We live in unnerving days concerning God's truth or with respect to God's truth and the treatment of those who actually care about God's truth. Um, In this scripture text that we're going to read in a moment, uh, it says in there, Paul says, I bear the marks on my body of Jesus. I would submit to you that These are days that are coming to us that are going to be uh, characterized increasingly, I think, as those who have to take their stand and say, as for me, I bear the marks of Jesus Christ, and I want you to know who I am. You, I know, pay attention to the news as I do, and in four short years, I was caught off guard this past week that the same president who invited at his inauguration four years ago Rick Warren to pray, uninvited an evangelical heavyweight by the name of Louis Giglio, who was was the one who was planned to be the prayer, uh, inauguration prayer this year, uninvited him because of one thing. Because Louis Giglio stands for biblical sexual morality. And we all know that four years ago, Rick Warren stood for biblical sexual morality. In four years, the office of the President of the United States has moved the position or outed the position, one or the other. And the office of the President will invite some pretend preacher to come and pray. You could count on that. Because whenever there's celebration and ceremony and all of that that's really important, the world is okay with empty ritual. Give us lots of pomp and circumstance and call it religion. What the world is uh, not okay with is accountable reality. In fact, this pretend religion is what I would say Karl Marx really meant when he was talking about religion as the opiate of the masses. And I would suggest to you that that's true. Religion outside of true, accountable Christianity, true Christian reality, is the opiate of the masses. And that is welcome everywhere. Glorying in the flesh, the the idolatry of the flesh, is in fact the false gods of post-modernity. But losing yourself to find yourself in Christ and the costs that are associated with that are not welcome. And what would actually make lives worth glorying in is vigorously opposed. And it is this that so inflamed the heart of the Apostle Paul. 
Because the very same things that are happening around us in terms of empty ritualistic religion over against actual truth is the very thing that the Apostle Paul is writing about in the book of Galatians. Around him, those who were competing for those who would go toward Christianity were those who were filled with empty ritual, pomp and circumstance. But Paul, inflamed of heart by the Holy Spirit, writes this letter, and in particular, writes this finale to his letter in a most powerful way, leaving us no doubt where he stands, where his passions are. And I would submit to you that in these few verses at the end of this chapter, I would like to believe is our passion, is a description of what really matters to us. And there's really only two things that he highlights this morning. He highlights a boast, and he highlights what really counts. And that's where we're going to go in a few moments. But if you have your Bibles, would you look in Galatians chapter 6, and I'll show you these two things, verses 11 through 18. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand? Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy, <clears throat> excuse me, to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, that no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Here's what really fired up the Apostle Paul. Satan won't stop people from chasing after religion. He will steer them to religion that keeps them dead. And I want to share with you as we introduce this passion that Paul has. I want to introduce you to the strategies that he picks out here that are satanic, really. Satanic in origin. Satan's insecurity cocktail, we'll call it. It's made out of three basic ingredients that I want to point out to you from the text. And these, can, these ingredients are constantly warring against our own soul and, and uh, the people around us. And the first ingredient of, of Satan as he seeks to try and steer us away from the truth, from reality, from what the, gospel, the purity of the gospel is our sinful nature. Our sinful nature continues to rise up in our lives, and, and it's described this way. We, as normal, sinful people, love to be in charge. We love to design the, what we believe is, is the way that God should, should receive us or should welcome us. In fact, um, it is this that he's addressing here in the whole book of Galatians. It's the Judaizers who are coming into the, the early church, this brand new church, and, and, and trying to wrestle people away and suggest that they must actually convert to Judaism to truly be in line with, with what God wants. People love to be in charge. 
They love to take credit. Paul says here, you want to boast about your flesh. We love to take credit for for how we are doing things or what we believe or how we're pleasing to God or the great things that we're doing for God. They wanted to to be able to go back to Jerusalem and say, look how many people we, we brought into the fold of Judaism. We have to be careful ourselves that, that we don't boast in the wrong direction. And the reason that we love to be in charge and love to take credit is because we fear human rejection. He says here, they're, they're not interested in really in your heart, in verse 12. He said the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. We fear human rejection. Rejection. But secondly, we love human praise in this whole rubric of sinful nature. He says, they they love to boast in your flesh. They they want to be praised. Our sinful nature is always just below the surface. But the second ingredient to this Satan-satanic insecurity cocktail is religious people. All around Paul, all around the Galatians, all around the people of Calvary, there's religious people. Marketers of this custom and that ritual. So you can become church folk just like us. And uh, you'll notice what, he really was, what, what was really the point here in verse 12 at the very beginning. They want to make a good impression on the outside. They want to show up and, and uh, look at the rituals that I participated look in. Look at the customs that I have. Look at these religious, religious traditions that I'm following. Look at me. The problem is, Paul says, it's all on the outside. There's nothing changing on the inside. Paul said, you know, if we were to bring this to a, a modern translation, it's like... It's like having a car that has a blown engine and you spend all of your money doing a new body job, making sure the outside looks wonderful. Well, great. The car looks great, but it can only sit in your driveway because it's got no horsepower. There's nothing going on in the inside. That's the problem with religious rituals and customs and traditions. They're about the outside, but they haven't done anything on the inside. Paul can turn to them and say, so what has happened on the inside of your life? So you have this religious people, you've got the sinful nature, and then the third big ingredient of this satanic insecurity cocktail is the enemy's propaganda himself. Constantly putting thoughts in your mind. See, Jesus Christ isn't really a sufficient savior, is he? You see, the Holy Spirit isn't really a sufficient guide. You better take charge if you want to get the things you want. You, you can't really put your, your trust in Jesus Christ. You can't put your life in the hands of the Holy Spirit. You better get a second opinion. You better pull the masses. You better find out what's popular. And so the Apostle Paul says this. See what Large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Now, for many of us, we're wondering, what is he talking about here? The practice of an apostle would be to bring along an amnuasis, what they would call, as a writer. Someone who had the ability to, to record with great penmanship and, and, and could 
conserve space. They didn't have reams of paper like we had who could write something with a very consistent look and all that. As we all know that our own handwriting, most of us can't read each other's handwriting. Is that not true? We sure can't read doctor's handwriting. So, so Paul says, uh, give me that thing. He, said, give me the, he says to the guy, give me that scroll. I'm going to finish off this letter. I'm going to write it in my own writing. And some have said, oh, he wrote it in big letters because he had poor eyesight and all that. I don't think that's what it was. Most of us know or have been trained on email etiquette. Email etiquette when we write to each other is don't write everything in capitals bold. Right? You're not supposed to do that. Some of the people are sitting here, oh man, that's what I always do. No, you're not supposed to do that. Why aren't you supposed to do that? Because when you put everything in a big font and big capital letters and big bold, you are shouting at the person you're sending it to, right? That's, that's the message you're giving. Or when you write a little bit of something, you put something in bold and blow it up, it's like, I want you to listen to this. I want you to pay attention to this. That's exactly what Paul is doing here, I think. He says, give me that thing. I'm going to increase the font size. I'm going to write it all in capitals, and I'm going to put it in bold because there are some people around here who just aren't getting the truth. And I'm going to make sure I actually shout it out to them with passion and fire. That's why Erasmus said this is the pure flame of the Apostle Paul. He's fired up, and he's sending it out to us, and he's saying this is the big letter edition. This is it. I want you to know something here. For those of you who are hard of learning... Endangering your progress in the Lord. For those of you who are in danger of not embracing the right faith. Big capital bold letters. Listen to me. And he's got two things. Two main points that he wants to bring to us. And the first is this. He says I have only one boast. One big boast that's worthy in my life. I'm going to expose all of your pride here. He says, i got only one boast that's worthy. And that is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this, he's saying to them. He's saying to these Galatians, think about this. You were dead because of your sinfulness. In other words, you were dead to God because of your sinfulness. And unless something happened to change that, in other words, unless someone made you alive to God, and unless someone took care of your sins in order that you could be made alive to God, you can't have any relationship with the living God. No matter what kind of forms and rituals and religion and customs and traditions and nationality you have, this is your plight. Unless somebody did something for you, unless in that particular someone is Jesus Christ, unless Christ did what he did, nothing good, nothing bad in your life that has become good could ever have happened. So he says, that's why in my life may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I boast, he says, about a person and about the work of that person. Every sinner, no matter how good... They are in their own eyes would be destined to forever destruction with no hope unless of Christ. So he he really has addressed in this epistle uh, who paid for every great thing you have or ever will have. And the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. At the front of the line of every saved person is a cross and a particular person, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The cross is the central turning point. It is the centerpiece of all the things that have ever happened in God's great creation. All of creation itself, it lines up with respect to the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ is the issue, as the Apostle Paul points out to us, as the Word of God points out to us, it is the central issue of all issues there ever are, ever were, and ever will be. It is the centerpiece. Who opened the blind eyes? Who opened your blind eyes to receive the gospel? Who unstopped your deaf ears so that you could receive the gospel? Without Christ, you could not see, you could not hear, and you could not believe. How much did it cost? Christ's bleeding death on the cross. I sometimes have talked to people and they say, I don't know why God doesn't doesn't show up and demonstrate this great, powerful, uh, miraculous uh, sighting in uh, in, in the view of all of Durham region. That would be the most powerful act of evangelism ever. In John chapter 12, It says this, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. And this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. You didn't suddenly decide on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Christ himself who opened your blind eyes and unstopped your deaf ears. And opened up your unbelieving heart so that you would welcome the things of God. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says at the very beginning of the book of of John. To whoever welcomed him. Those who received him. To them he gave the right to become the children of God. And so Paul says this Lord Jesus Christ and the cross is the centerpiece of what changed my life and everyone else whose lives have ever been changed or ever will be changed. And the cost was the cross. He's somewhat amazed that anybody would think that somehow a human hit and miss moralism or some sort of act like circumcision could please living God over against the teaching that the only way sins can be dealt with is by the sinless Son of God paying a sacrifice on a cross of Calvary that those who would repent and believe in Him might have eternal life, their sins forgiven, and their life that was deadened by those sins, deadened to God, made alive by one who was raised from the dead and the only one who can raise people. 
Paul says it's, it's beyond laughable that you would think that some sort of human act of circumcision could take some, some, cut some flesh by a human-made instrument and somehow the living God would be okay with that. You've been graced by the mercies of God, getting what you don't deserve and being kept from what you do deserve. This offer, he says, of those who are standing beside me trying to steal you out of the church, they are su- suggesting to you that if you, if you would simply go through the ritual of circumcision, that you would be pleasing to God, all the while they know in their hearts that they, they're ashamed because they can't keep the law. The, the simple cutting of flesh did not change the fact that internally they can't, they can't um, keep the, the laws of God. Whether you go into a mosque, or you go into a confessional, or you go into a church, or you sit cross-legged in front of a Buddha, or you take a Holy Communion snack, no act of a human can satisfy an offended holy God. Paul says, that's why the cross is what I boast in. And he says, because at the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It was through the cross that God has cut the world out of my life. You're suggesting a a, a mere circumcision. I'm telling you that at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ... The world that was killing me, the desires and the draws of my heart to sin against the living God have been cut out of my life. And now I am truly free. I've never been freer in my life, he says. The world is dead to me and I'm dead to the world. We we use this phraseology. Usually we shouldn't use it because it's never usually good. I look at Calvin and say, Calvin, you're dead to me. That's not a really, that's not a warm kind of friendship thing. Whenever he starts chirping about the Leafs, I have to remind him, Calvin, you're dead to me. Okay, so they won one game. Congratulations. Enjoy it. You're dead to me. Paul says this amazing thing happened at the cross. The Lord God, through the Son, through the Lord Jesus Christ changed us from being dead to God, whereby God was dead to us, he made a switch so that now the world is dead to those who are in Christ. And I have become dead to the world. I can literally say with truth, world and all your draws and all the desires that would steal my heart away from the living God, you are dead to me. Why can I say that? Because Jesus Christ took my sinful life and nailed it to the cross. I was crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live the life I live in the flesh. I now live by faith in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
All my sins have been, cru- have been nailed to the cross. And I bear them no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Not in part, but the whole. Not only that, in Colossians 2.14, we are told that the, uh, the, the writ against us, the, the offense whereby we have broken the laws of God by our sin, separating us from the love of God, separating us from a relationship with God, all of that in Colossians 2.14, the guilty charges against me, it says, were also nailed to the cross and left there. Now, Paul turns to these guys who are suggesting circumcision, and he's saying to them, what about your sins? What about your sinful life? What about the the guilty charges that are on your life because you're still ashamed because you can't keep the law of God? How have they, they been taken care of by the act of circumcision? And you boast... In that? That's what you want to peddle to my church? Unless Jesus had taken the old rebellious, unbelieving, self-sufficient you and me to the cross, the one that's addicted to being in charge and taking credit for everything, we wouldn't be able to really live now or forever. So how do we practically move spiritually forward with this truth about the cross? That God has crucified the world to me and I to the world. How do we move forward with that? I I want you to know what Jesus has done for you at the cross. He unplugged you from the world and you and plugged you into Christ. He plugged you into himself. You were formally fired up and drawn and drew your, your way of living from the world. From yourself, from your sin, from yourself, from satanic ideas. He unplugged that and plugged you into Christ. He unplugged you from, from living in ways that uh, displease God, from your selfishness from neglecting God, from living in ways that um, are in complete opposition to God, from ignoring the needs of others, and plugged you into Christ. But it says in the Word of God, you have been crucified with Christ. Now crucify yourself. The end of Galatians chapter 5. Which means keep the plug plugged in to Jesus. And Jesus alone. Because in many ways our sinful nature is not dissimilar to a kind of a rechargeable battery. If you unplug yourself from Christ and plug yourself back into the world and the desires of the world and things that matter to your selfishness and all that, you can, you can start firing power up back up in, your, in, in your, uh, your sinful nature. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. It means to keep yourself plugged into Christ, trusting in Him alone, following Him alone, growing in Him alone. That's how Christ is being formed in us. That's how it works. That's how you are a big, free faith person. 
So he says, I, the centerpiece for me, my whole boast, the, not, I, I don't bring anything. My preaching, my giftedness, uh, every, anything good I ever do or have done or will ever do, I don't bring any of that and say I'm laying that as a boast and I'm standing in front of the, the, the fledgling congregation in Galatia and saying, look at me. They know my boast is only in Christ alone, what Christ has done for me. And he says, listen, secondly, there's only one thing that counts. There's only one thing in life that counts. It's not what church. It's not what denomination. It's not what nationality. It's not what culture. It's not what style you are. It has nothing to do with your gender or your age or your background or your economic status. There's only one thing that counts, he says in the text. What's that? A new creation. This is an amazing truth for all of us. In coming to Christ, he says the only thing that counts is that you are a new people, a Christ people. As Christ the forgiver, Christ the creator, makes what was formerly dead alive and has, has invaded our formerly dead life by the Holy Spirit. So that we have moved from being dead flesh to gifted by the Holy Spirit to bear fruit. Now expressing that through faith. Through love toward those who we might formerly hate. And so he makes this abundantly clear. Because they are, they are trying to peddle nationality and culture and style and ritual. Tradition. Paul says you can't become a part of the people of God through external customs or rituals or initiations or even human associations. Jesus stood before a a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And he said, this is it. This is the one thing that counts. You must be what? Born again, John chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. That's what new creation is. You must be born again by creator God. Who takes a life formerly dead to God and makes you alive to himself. That's the one thing that counts. That you are new creation. You can be circumcised or not, he says. You can be baptized or not. You can be baby dedicated or not. You can have offering envelopes or not. You can go to Mecca or not. You can give to the poor or not. The only thing that counts is new creation. That you have had a new creation work done in your heart by God, bringing you alive. Formerly, you were dead. Now you've been brought alive, he says. And you can't attach anything else to Christ. It's Christ alone. You can't add laws or regulations. The Sabbath laws will not bring you to Christ. Whether you eat pork and snails or you don't eat pork and snails, it won't matter. That won't bring you to Christ. You can mix cotton and wool all you like. It won't bring you to Christ or it won't take you away from Christ. Christ has fulfilled the law, Matthew 5, 17. Trusting in Christ and being led by the Spirit of God is how we live righteously before Him. You can't... There's no extra experiences that are, that are required that you might be uh, in Christ. There's no uh, 
extra education that you need to be in Christ. If you understand that you are a sinner and that Jesus Christ died on a cross as a sacrifice for your sins, a perfect, sinless Son of God died on a cross for your sins, that by repenting of your sins, by acknowledging that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior, you can be forgiven of those sins and you can be taken from deadness to sin to alive in Christ. That's what you need to know. You don't need any special education for that. There's no third degree belts in Christianity. There's no special super Christians or status that determine whether one is in. There's no special number. It's whether or not you're new creation. And he said, above all, for sure, there's no converting to a particular culture or a particular custom or a particular denomination. That we have added style and custom to Christianity is completely against the gospel. That the Roman Catholic Church suggests that you must have Christ plus the church is completely in contradiction to the gospel. It's Christ plus nothing else. Christ alone. He says this is the only thing that counts. It's new creation. Are you or are you not new creation? There is, now, there is no salvation apart from Christ alone. Acts chapter 4, 12. For salvation is found in none other. No one else. For there is, what is it? No other name given among men under heaven whereby we might be saved. There is no other name. Jesus Christ and what he did alone. The centerpiece of our existence. The one thing that counts. New creation. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was crucified and raised by God, he is the capstone, the unrivaled centerpiece, the one who is to be unadorned and non-supplemented. It is Jesus Christ alone. And Paul says here, if you want a rule, this is the rule. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, the rule of new creation. It's the only acceptable standard to God. If you are a new creation, doesn't matter what nationality you are, doesn't matter what your personal style preference is, doesn't matter what gender you are, doesn't matter what education level you are, doesn't matter what economic status you are, doesn't matter where you live in the world, doesn't matter what your customs are, if you are a new creation, that Jesus Christ has changed your life, brought you to life. You belong to Christ. You belong to the people of God. None of us received a righteousness apart from complete surrender and dependency on Christ alone. And you can't live righteously apart from total dependency on Christ alone. And he says, furthermore, to those who are trying to convert everybody to Judaism, follow this rule, the new creation rule. The new creation rule are the people who are the true Israel of God. The true Israel of God, the chosen people, is the people of the new creation rule. It's not based on a national custom. So what he's really saying is that all of the covenant promises that have been given to Israel, to the people of God, to the faithful, to the righteous, are transferred over to the new creation All the promises are yes and yes in Christ. What that practically means 
is the Arab merchant in Tel Aviv who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, has been saved by his grace, is new creation. And the devout rabbi in Jerusalem who rejects Messiah, rejects Messiah Christ, is not. It's not nationality. It's not about a piece of geography. It's not about a custom. It's not about a style. It's not about a gender. It's not about economic status. It's not about a denomination. It's about new creation. Are you born again by the transforming work of Jesus Christ who brings you from deadness in your sins to alive in Christ? That's all that counts, he says. So what's our only boast? Tell me. Tell me. The cross of Jesus Christ. And what's all that counts? A new creation. That's it. That's our gospel. That's our message. That's who we are. That's what we believe. That's what we stand on. That's our only boast. That's all that counts. That's what we take to the marketplace. That's Galatians. That's the Bible. That's the gospel. It's a consistent message everywhere in the scriptures. That's what we've learned. And so Paul ends this off by saying, stop bugging me. He said, I didn't see that in the text. Yes, you did. Stop bugging me. Finally, he says in verse 17, let no one cause me any trouble. Stop bugging me, he says to all of those who are chirping about their rituals and their customs. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He said, look, if you want to have a, a sore groin, that's fine. Have, have, you can go ahead and have that. But as for me, the mark on my body is going to be Jesus Christ and him alone. You want to think this is a nationality thing? You go ahead. I'm not starting a new brand here. He said, my brand is the same as it's always been. It's the people of God, the creation of God, the new creation. So stop bugging me. And then he signs off, as every good Roman Catholic does. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Say, what? He's using a Roman Catholic phrase in a Baptist church? I'm not using a Roman Catholic phrase. Where did I get that thing? Verse 18. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit, brothers, sisters. And what's your response back? Well, amen's the Baptist way. The Catholics say, and, and also with yours. It's not about denomination. You think we don't have some amazing brothers and sisters in the Roman Catholic tradition? Sure we do. In the Anglican? Sure we do. We even have some in the Baptists. It's not about that. It's about new creation. Are you born again by Jesus Christ? Our Father, I just pray that you would take the truth of the gospel again. Paul summarize it. You had him summarize it. I pray that you will take what I have shared from your word and so ingrain it, embedded in our hearts that we will know 
we boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Anything good we are or ever will be is because of Christ and what he's done for us. Not of us. And only one thing counts. Are we part of the new creation? Have you done a new work in my life? Have I moved from death to life by the forgiveness of my sins through Christ Jesus alone? Oh, Father, I pray that you might teach us. Teach us to love Christ alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's, let's bow our heads and close our, our eyes and, and for prayer. Lord, um, we thank you for your gospel, your truth sets us free. Father, the testimony of those who are truly yours is always the same. There was a deadness in our life toward God and a desire toward the things of the world. And nothing could change that. No rituals, no reading, no people, until we encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, who died that our sins might be forgiven, so that he could make us alive to God and dead to the things that were killing us. Our Father, I pray this morning that there would not be a single person in here this morning that would miss that message or bypass that message or reject it, but that we would welcome it. And in this moment of prayer, I I just wonder, is there anyone in here this morning who would say, I am being moved by God to receive this message, to welcome this message? Thank you. Is there anyone who said, I, I came in here dead to God, but I want Jesus Christ to make me alive to Christ? Would you pray for me, Pastor? Anybody? Our Father, the work in our hearts is on the inside work of the Spirit of God. We try to dust up the outside and pretend, but you know the inside. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would, in a fresh way, embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our only boast is Christ and what he has done for us. And only one thing in all of my life really counts And that is a new creation. That I would be in Christ and Christ in me. So thank you for this truth. Lord, I pray that you will burden us to take this truth. Strengthen us. Fire us up with this truth. For Jesus Christ's sake, I pray. Amen.